Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. A real drawing spirit in the church right now. I want to just pause just for a moment. If you really don't want to wait until after I preach to come to the altar and spend a few minutes before the Lord, this is your invitation. If you need to come and make something right with the Lord right now. You need to just come and get on your knees right here. Come on. There's a sweet spirit in this house today. Listen, we don't always have to have music. It doesn't always have to be orchestrated. Sometimes we just move at the impulse of the Holy Spirit. Anyone else? Amen. Hallelujah. People are still coming. Hmm. I have a default scripture that I use all the time. I go back to it again and again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. This is my favorite part. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. Aren't you glad today there's a river? There's a river of life, a river of His presence. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow right now. We ask, Lord, that You would hear our humble prayer. Thank You, Lord, for everything You've done in our lives. But, Lord, we sense that there is so much more that needs to be done. Lord, I pray now with my brothers and sisters who are here at this altar. Oh, may they meet with You, Lord. May this be a moment of encounter. I pray, God, that you will bless each person with each need that they're presenting before you. I pray, Father, that heaviness will be removed and the joy of the Lord uh, will fill their hearts. I pray that you'll give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I pray, Father, that this will be a benchmark day in their lives. I pray this simple little walk to the altar and humbly bowing at your presence will mark the beginning of a new and fresh work in their lives. Something awesome, something miraculous, something that 
only you can do. Lord, would you bless them? And Lord, not just them, every last one of us in this building, we need a touch from God today. We need the heavens to open up above us. We, we need, Lord, for you to kiss us with your holy presence. Move in our hearts. Touch every person here today. Do an amazing work of grace, we pray. And Lord, bless me. I am not adequate for the occasion. I'm, I'm, I don't have the words that I need to have for this message, but I pray, Lord, you'll fill my mouth and use me and bless me and bless through me and bless this church as I deliver your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'd like for you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We are making our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And this is the fourth message that uh, I will be preaching. I first talked to you about the subject, grace to you. You remember, that's how Paul began. And then in the second message, I talked to you about Paul complimented them and bragged on them because they were waiting for the one who was raised, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Easter Sunday morning. And then last week, Paul talks to them about, and he keeps saying, as you know, as you're aware of, as you're uh, uh, you have been witnesses to. You know these things. And Paul goes over some things that they knew to be true, he knew to be true, but the enemy was trying to discredit them and, ma and make them think that it wasn't true. And sometimes we need to be reminded of what is true and what's not true. And, and that's what we looked at last week. Today, I want to talk to you on the subject, and we'll just barely get started on this subject, but I want to talk to you about on the subject, we thank God for you. That's the title. We thank God for you. Because that's what Paul says to them. Uh, please open your Bibles. You should be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Is where we'll start reading. Chapter 2, verse 13. This is what Paul says. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing... Don't rush over that. Paul says, we thank God without ceasing, without stopping. We're continuing to thank God. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Which also effectively works in you who believe. Paul says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Now, look at chapter 3, verse 9. At chapter 3, verse 9. He says, For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? You see, Paul and his missionary team ministered in this church at Thessalonica. And they led many to Christ, and then they established a church, and then they moved on. But Paul was concerned about this church. Paul wanted to make sure that things were right there. They were, I don't want to use the word that he worried about them, but they were heavy upon his heart. And so, what Paul did was this. He sent Timothy back 
to them to get a report from them to bring back to him so he would know their state. And in chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, Paul says, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it. Paul said, I just couldn't stand it any longer. I had to know how you were doing. Have you ever been that concerned about somebody? He says, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. You you see, the Apostle Paul was saying, since Timothy has returned to us with this good news, we just keep thanking God for you without ceasing. He says, we rejoice in the Lord and thank Him for what He's doing in your life. What a great statement. And then the second passage I read to you just a moment ago, Paul says, we don't even have the words. With what words can we use to thank God for you, for all the joy that you have brought us? Paul's thankful. He's praising the Lord for them. Now, what we will do is we'll spend a few weeks here, maybe two or three weeks, and we'll just look at what Paul's thankful for. Why he says he's thankful I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had somebody to say to you, I thank God for you? Those are encouraging words, aren't they? In fact, those may may be some of the most encouraging words you'll ever hear in your life. I thank God for you. What, What that means is somebody is saying to you, I see something in your life that makes me want to praise God and thank Him for how He's working in your life. And And that's what Paul said. By the way, I just want to stop and say, I thank God for River of Life. I thank God for you. And this is, this is an amazing church. I do sense in my heart, in my own life, in the leadership of this church, and in all of us, that we've got a long way to go. We, we may just be in kindergarten. There may be a lot more for us. But I am so thankful for you. I thank God for what He's doing in this church and I'm excited about the days to come and the growth that we have ahead of us. And, and so, so I just want to tell you, I thank God for you. That's what Paul was saying when he wrote to the Thessalonian church. He says, I, I thank God for you. We, the missionary team, he uses the plural. We, the missionary team, we're thanking God for you. We don't even have the right words. We don't even have enough words to thank God for what He's doing in your life. And then he begins, and this is where we will go in the next few weeks. Then he begins by saying, this is what I'm thankful for. And I'm glad Paul does that. Paul says, first of all, we're thankful Because you have received the Word of God. You've received the Word of God. Uh, Look again at chapter 2, verse 13, the first verse we read. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. 
Now friends, Paul was saying, I am so thankful because when we delivered to you the Word of God, you didn't receive it as the Word of men, you received it as the Word of God. You received it as God's Word. This is huge. Paul is saying, we brought it to you, but there was something inside of you that was able to understand that this was not just our words, this is God's Word, and you received it as God's Word. This is an amazing statement. And by the way, this changes everything. This, this is a big, huge deal in the Christian faith, in your life, in my life, and in this church. And that is, do we receive the Word of God as it is indeed the Word of God? Do we receive it? Because that makes all the difference in the world. Now, the question is why? Why would Paul put so much emphasis on this one thing? This one issue? Here it is. Paul knew that the Christian life, the Christian faith, and the Christian church stands or falls on this one issue. It stands or falls right here. Is this the Word of God? And have you received it as the Word of God? You see, that's the most important question anybody will ever ask you. I, Paul knew how important it was. He knew how dangerous it was to have a casual relationship with the Word of God. He knew how dangerous it was for a person to get out of the Word. Let me just stop and say, if child of God, listen to me. Christians, listen to me. When you get out of the Word of God, when you stop reading the Word of God, when all you receive is what I give you or maybe somebody else, but you don't read the Word for yourself, when you get out of the Word of God, and you stop reading it, you stop meditating on it, you, you stop pouring over it and praying over it. When you stop doing that, the enemy can play tricks with your brain. The enemy can begin to mess with you. The enemy can have you thinking that right is wrong and wrong is right. The enemy can make good sound like evil and evil sound like good. It's going on all over the world right now. The, if you get out of the Word, the enemy can bring you to a point where he can convince you that you actually get to determine what's right and what's wrong. And the only way we can be absolutely, positively sure that we're not being deceived is we have to get in the Word, we have to stay in the Word, and we have to receive the Word as the Word of God. We have to, we have to get in the book. We have to do that. Are you reading your Bible? You see, in an ever-changing world, we need to make sure that the world's not changing us on the matters that, on the, the things that really matter. Truth never changes. Morality never changes. God and His Word never changes. And we need to make sure that the world is not changing us when it comes to these issues. Are you reading your Bible? See, that's an important question. Paul is rejoicing in this 
passage of Scripture, in this whole passage, because the Thessalonian church had received the Word, and they had received it as the Word of God. And it, it had a high place in their lives. Years ago, when I was a young preacher boy, in school, I had one professor that I sat under for a year or so. And we would always go in with all these questions. And there was this one professor, and we would ask him about some contemporary issue that was going on. We'd say, what do you believe about this, this issue? And he'd always say the same thing. He'd say, I believe what the Bible says. That's what he'd say. And then before we could ask him, he would say, so what you need to do is pick up your Bible and start studying your Bible. And when you find out what the Bible says about that, then you'll know what I believe about that because I believe about that what the Bible says about that. And I think sometimes some of the guys would ask him just to hear him say that again. But what he, what he did was he made us understand that the Bible had to be the full and final authority in his life. He made us understand that that was the full and final authority in his life and it had to be the full and final authority in our lives. And he drove that home. And he was right. What a great answer. I believe what the Bible says. I love that. Don't we need some pastors and churches? Don't we need people that will get back to that? I believe what the Bible says. You see, friends, it's not what Billy or Franklin Graham says. It's not what Joel Osteen says. It's not what Kay Arthur says. It's not what Rick Warren says. It's not what John MacArthur says. It's not what Joyce Meyer says. It's not what David Jeremiah says. It's not what Henry Jones says. Forgive me, I, I just wanted one time for my name to be used. <laughs> That's the only time my name will ever be used in that list, I'm sure. But I just had to throw that in there. The point I'm trying to make, friends, is every name I called out can help you, can maybe teach you, can bring learning and hope and help into your life. But don't put any of those people up on a pedestal. Take the Word of God. Put the Word of God up on a pedestal. Make it the highest and holiest thing in your life. And you bow down to the Word of the living God. The Word of God. You see, don't elevate any of those people above the Word of God. Put it the highest. And I'll tell you something else. When you put the Word of God way up there, oh, it makes all the difference in the world. And there are times you hear me say things. It hasn't been too long ago. I said something in the pulpit and somebody said, that's wrong. I went home and checked it. It was wrong. I got up the next Sunday and said I was wrong. You see, I, I can help you. I can teach you. You can help me. You can teach me. But we have a personal responsibility to get in the Word, don't we? And to stay in the Word and to read the Word. Are you reading your Bible? See, that's an important question. 
That's an important question. I'll tell you something else. Not just spiritual leaders, but make sure the naysayers, the critics, make sure that the enemy is not a, uh, that you don't allow the enemy put somebody between you and the Word of God. Because be, there's always somebody that'll get in your way. But you just, you put the Word of God high. And that's what you believe. I mentioned Joel Osteen a moment ago. And I just want to tell you, uh, Joel Osteen is a motivational speaker. He's not a preacher. I didn't say that. He said that. That's what I heard him say about himself one time. He said, I'm not a preacher. He said, my daddy was the preacher. By the way, if you ever heard his dad preach, wow, what a preacher he was. Joel Osteen says, I'm not a preacher. I'm a motivator. And he's a pretty good one at that. Now, he rarely ever talks about hell or sin or any of those difficult subjects. And I don't agree with that. I think he should, but he doesn't. And that's between him and the Lord. But there is something he does that I just absolutely love. It, it, you can pull it up on the internet every Sunday at his church. All of the members, they all bring their Bibles. Did you bring your Bible this morning? Don't, don't say anything. Shame on you if you didn't. It's okay, I've come to church without my Bible. Actually, I went and preached a revival one time. I drove like a hundred miles. And when I got to the church, I realized I left my Bible at home. I had to borrow a Bible to preach that night. We, we all do it. It's not a big deal. But what Joel Osteen will do is he'll have everybody in the church. They do it every Sunday. it be thousands of them. It's a beautiful thing. And they stand up and they hold their Bibles up. And they say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. And I will never be the same. I am about to receive the incorruptible, incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Wow! Wow! If we were any closer to His church, I wouldn't have shared that with you because you'd go join His church. I don't agree with all of his theology, but I'm telling you, every Sunday, He reminds His congregation that there is nothing higher and holier than the Word of God. No wonder his church is growing. You see, friends, receive the Word of God as the Word of God. What it really is. There's some wonderful, wonderful benefits about receiving the Word of God as the Word of God. Let me just give you a few. This, this, is, this is so neat. This is so cool. And this will help you out. This will make a great theologian out of you. When you receive the Word of God as the Word of God, it answers hundreds of other questions. I never cease to be amazed at the conversations I find myself in. Somebody will say, well, Pastor, what do you believe about the sanctity of human life? What do you believe about abortion? What do you, what do you believe about when life begins? Does it begin at, at uh, conception? Does it begin when the heart starts beating? Does it begin uh, at birth? Does it begin before birth? Well, let me share something with you, friends. The right question is this. Do you believe the Word of God? Do you receive the Word of God as the Word of God? Because if you receive the Word of God as the Word of God, you don't have to try to figure out what you believe about that. The Bible tells us the truth about that. 
Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Had a plan for your life. And that's not the only place. There are quite a few other verses that talk about that. You, you see, friends, when subjects like same-sex marriage come up, or how about this, alcoholism and, and intoxication, or filthy language, or inappropriate relationships outside of marriage, or heaven and hell, or judgment and salvation, or creation, or meaning and purpose for life. You, you see, friends, the question is, do you believe this is the Word of God? Do you believe it is the infallible, inerrant, absolute authoritative Word of the living God. Because if you believe that, the answer to all those other questions is right here. You don't have to try to figure out what you believe if you believe the Word of God. And, and that's, that's why it is so important. So, so try it. Next time somebody asks you, what do you believe about that? Just say, I believe what the Bible says about that. And if they say, well, what does the Bible say about that? If you know it, tell them. If you don't, say, I don't know what the Bible says about that. But I'll look for it, and when I find it, that's what I believe. I'll start, I, 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 I know what I believe. I believe what the Bible says. It may take me some time, but I'll find it. When I find it, that's what I believe. Now, friends, listen to me. This is so important. This is major. This is huge. Nothing could be more important. Have we received the Word of God as the Word of the living God? And does it take priority and precedence over everything else? And do we believe it when everybody else disagrees with it? Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true and every man a liar. What the Bible says, If every man on earth disagrees with this Word, let God be true and every man a liar. See, that's the commitment you have to have when you, when you get to the Word of God. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to get you to check your brain in at the door when you come to church. Because, because just the opposite is true. I'm asking you to use your brain. I'm asking you to think about it. And to, to think about what we know about the Bible. And to take some time. Man, this is a trustworthy book. This book has proven itself. This book validates itself. Are you reading your Bible? Uh, in 1846, a Hungarian doctor by the name of Ignaz Semmelweis. I said that real fast, hoping I would not mispronounce it. Maybe that's close. But this Dr. Semmelweis, this is in 1846, came up with this, this crazy notion. Nobody had ever heard of it before. They didn't know anything about it. It was so strange. This doctor, you will not believe what he came up with. It, it, is, it was just unheard of. Nobody ever thought about it before in the medical profession. This is what Semmelweis said. We've got to change the way we do things around here. 
Doctors need to start washing their hands before they examine patients. Come on, 1846, think about this. We've got to start washing our hands before we examine the patients. That's a little bit gruesome, but stay with me here. What he noticed was, is that in the hospital, the doctors that would go down to the morgue and do the autopsies would then go and examine their patients, and the patients that were examined shortly after doctors had done an autopsy were getting infections and they were dying. And in the hospitals where um, mothers, expectant mothers were coming in to give birth to the babies, what he found out was that more mothers were dying in the hospital than those who had midwives and were staying at home. And he thought, he said, we got to do something about this. He said, I'm not sure what it is. But he said, somehow... They're, they're transmitting something. They have to be transmitting something. You've got to understand, we know a lot about germs. We know a lot about bacteria today. They didn't know about it then. And he said, we've got, we got to do something about this. And so he started telling them, we've got to wash our hands. We've got to wash our hands. They said, why? Now listen, we're talking about doctors. I've got to wash it. Why? And he said, because we're the ones who are killing the patients. They couldn't accept that. Listen to me, I'm not making this up. Read about it. It's in the history books. You know what they did? They fired him. And not only did they fire him, they wrote so many bad articles about him and talked about what a coot and what a quack and how foolish he was and how off-grid he was. Until they had a nervous breakdown and ended up in a mental institution. Friends, thousands of years ago, thousands, several thousand years before that, God said, if you touch the body, a dead body, a corpse, you are unclean and you have to bathe. You have to wash your hands and you have to wash your clothes and you have to wash your body and you cannot touch a clean person until you first washed and cleansed yourself. The article I read about this man said that had the medical community listened to him, tens of thousands of lives could have been saved. Well, friends, I want to say the same thing. If we would just listen to the Word, oh, what salvation it would bring into our everyday lives. I'm not asking you to check your brain in at the door. I'm asking you to realize, identify something as being above mankind itself. Something that is the Word of God. I'm, I shouldn't say this. Do you, have you ever noticed that when preachers say, I shouldn't say this, they always say it? <laughs> I shouldn't say this. But did you know... <laughs> that 39% of all women and 63% of all men do not wash their hands when they leave the restroom. No. 20, I mean, 39% of women and 63% of men don't wash their hands. Read your Bible. Wash your hands, folks. For heaven's sake, wash your hands. 
Sometimes I do this. People will walk up to me and they'll stick their hands out like this and I'll say, oh no, come on, give me a big hug. <laughs> Hugging is a lot cleaner than shaking hands. So help me, the other day somebody said to me, they said, Pastor, I noticed you wash your hands a lot. I said, because I know a lot of folks don't ever wash their hands. They wash your hands a lot. That was, that was free. You don't have to pay anything extra for that. <laughs> Here, here's another one. I'm just trying to get you to understand what a book we have here. Thousands of years ago, long before medical science knew anything about cholesterol or plaque building up in the arteries, the Bible says, don't eat the fat of animals. How could the Bible have known so long ago? Well, that's not hard to figure out if you understand that God wrote this book. The God who knew it all. Here's one of my... Favorite ones. Long before Pythagoras and Aristotle and others declared the world to be round, when the rest of the world thought it was flat, the Bible said, back in the book of Isaiah, God sits enthroned on the circle of the earth. And, and there, there's about five other scriptures that teach us that the, the world is round. It's a sphere. And, and these Greek philosophers uh, started figuring it out. But had they read their Bibles, they would have known long before then that the world is round. This is cool. You should at least look this up and read it. Pythagoras, you know how he came to the conclusion the world was round? You say, man, what kind of mathematical equation was he using? How did he figure it out? Man, he must have been a real genius. You know how he figured out that the world was round? He looked up and he said, the moon's round? The sun is round. <laughs> Pretty good chance the world is round. <laughs> Brilliant, right? Oh, and then once he, once he started thinking that way, then he started noticing that the moon, the different phases of the moon, that when the earth was shading out the moon, it wasn't square. It was round. Uh, okay. But I'm just saying, the, Bible, the Word of God says it long, long ago. Here's another one. Job 26, 7 says, God hangs the world on nothing. You see, we now know that the foundation of the earth is really God's design. He hangs the world on nothing. And here's one of my favorite ones. Hebrews 11, 3 says, teaches us that everything we can see is made out of things we cannot see. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, by the way, he didn't say that everything we see was made out of nothing. That's not what he says. He said the things that are visible are made out of things that are not visible. Well, science finally caught up. Science has recently discovered, or I say recently, I'm talking about the last couple hundred years. Science has recently discovered the universe is made up of atoms. Everything in the universe is made up of atoms. And we can't see them, can we? So everything you can see is made up of things you can't see. I'm just trying to drive some points home here. By the way, there's a, I read one article 
And it was just entitled, 100 Scientific Facts that the Bible knew about before science proved it to be a fact. This is, this is a holy book. This is a wonderful book. Are you reading your Bible? Really? This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, practice it to be safe, and believe it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Christ is its subject, our good, its design, and the glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. We should read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to us in life. It will be opened in judgment and remembered forever. It is the Holy Word of God. It is God's Word. Are you reading your Bible? I, uh, I always do what I'm about to do with fear and trembling. And uh, that, this has been on my heart so much over the last three days. I have to at least make an attempt. I have a prophetic word this morning for somebody in the house that I'm as confident as I know how to be. I have a prophetic word for somebody here. And in my own thinking, I think it's for more than one person, but I do have a prophetic word. Now, here's, a, here's what I believe about prophecy, and especially modern-day prophecy. I'm not talking about the prophecy of God's Word. But modern-day prophecy works like this, that if the Spirit speaks a word of prophecy through me, and it connects with you, and it confirms what the Holy Spirit is saying in your heart, then you take hold of it. You see, don't ever let the prophecy of a man walking around on this earth right now today control you. Let it confirm what the Holy Spirit is saying. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't confirm in your heart that this is for you, then just say, man, I'm glad the pastor had a word of prophecy for them and not me. <laughs> That's all you got to do. Just throw it off to somebody else. But if the Holy Spirit confirms that it's you he's talking to, then you want to take hold of this prophecy I'm about to give you. It's a real short prophecy. It's real simple. Here's what it is. The Lord says to you, I want you to get back in my word. I want you to start reading the Bible again. Afresh and anew, I want you to receive the word of God as my word. And I want you to do that today. And the Holy Spirit impressed upon my heart for me to say this to you. The Lord says to you, I love you. That's what He says. I love you. And I want to bless you. I want to answer the prayers that you've been crying out to me about. I want to bless you. I want to answer your prayers. I want to do mighty things in your life. But first, you have to get back in the Word. You have to get back in the Word of God. And God says if you'll get back in the Word, 
then He'll use you mightily. He'll bless you. He'll start doing supernatural things in your life. So there it is. If that's the Word of God for you, I am excited for you. Because God's getting ready to do something very special in your life. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.